My mother liked to tap dance on a pickle barrel when she was five. This was in 1934 in the middle of the Great Depression in a little village in northern Iowa. Eventually, my mother grew up, married, and had children. I was one of them. At her encouragement, I was convinced to be one of the three kings in our church's pageant. I was eight. Two other kings would join me. Sunday school classmates, Chuck and Randy. Randy's mom was our director. She had straight blonde hair. She wore in a ponytail. She directed us with her palm held out as if a small bird were to land on it. Our church, of course, resembled an overturned Viking ship. That's appropriate because many of the parishioners were the descendants of overturned, converted Vikings. Vikings, it is told, did not convert easily. Those old Norse ways didn't completely leave them. They could not quite get the hang of concepts like original sin, the incarnation, and the Holy Trinity. So they clung to the old practices like the invocation of Valkyries. Becoming Christian was a 200 year long process. Only when they were told by the Germans that Christ was a kind of warrior king, came to defeat Satan, did they start cottoning to the idea. Rustin Larson, in his book of short stories, Red Wing. Welcome to Delmarva today. I'm your host, Harold Wilson. My guest today is Rustin Larson, and we're discussing his new book of short stories, Red Wing. The reader's comments on the back cover of the book suggest that the stories are strongly about place. The place being generally rural Iowa. And that's basically true. Larson has woven the Iowa landscape into the structure of his stories in a way that captures the emotion and feel of his characters. But there is more, so much more to these stories. For me, they are about time, or rather the relative nature of time. The Amish time travelers, for example, in his short story, Einstein, the mishmash account of Thanksgiving history in the title story, Red Wing, a history broken in pieces, laid out, meaningless as history, but at the same time, in its context, making complete sense. Shards of memory, I see them, like a broken plate, each with its own unique history to tell, but at the same time, giving us a mental picture of the whole. Ruston, 
Welcome to Delmarva today. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here. Well, Rustin, tell us about your book and what you're saying to us with these stories. Well, they all um, evolved differently, I think. And so I don't know if there was any overarching concept to begin with, because over time they they evolved and, and came into being. But then, you know, uh, putting together collections of stories is a bit like putting together a story. You know, you see connections and sometimes uh, characters do overlap. Maybe uh, some bigger ideas uh, get flushed out. So there are many layers and aspects of creation, I think. Uh, is what I'm saying, basically, with all these diverse stories. Um, there's many layers of the self. There's many layers of awareness. And uh, I think uh, it, it, instead of paying homage to chronology, it, 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 it uh, pays um, more attention to the way that the past and the present uh, intersect that the moments that we live and think and be in our daily lives are uh, also informed by past moments, um, visions, uh, dreams, uh, and other different layers and strata of creation, of reality. Well, I certainly see that uh, in, the, in the stories and I, I will say again, Rustin, that um, uh, each of these stories I, I did see as a unique and separate piece. But because of the overlapping characters and, and because of other uh, activities in the stories, I, I, did, I saw them, even though they were created over time, as you say, I, I see them almost as a piece. I, and, and the image, strangely enough, that came to my mind was really that of a broken plate with each of these stories as a part of the whole. The whole um, maybe being just the structure of life or the whole being maybe just time itself and the way it weaves its way through, um, through our lives. But I, I found the structure um, very unique. And, and you also, in terms of the, of, of the publishing of the book, you have uh, double spaces between your lines and uh, there are other, uh, the font is, is a little larger than normal. And uh, I wonder, I, uh, clearly this seems to me a conscious um, activity uh, on the part of, of the designer. So how does this kind of structure relate to what you're trying to tell us in these stories? Well, I think first, uh, I mean, as the physical or mechanical aspects of the book are, is uh, developed, informed, and shaped by my uh, experience as a poet. Uh, I've uh, spent a lot of time writing poetry and considering the line, uh, considering voice, um, 
considering uh, the essence of scene and a visual and also auditory aspects of uh, the presentation of a group of words. And so that carries over, I think, a great deal to these stories. In fact, some of the stories incorporate lines of poetry uh, within them. So um, there's that, you know, it, it's kind of like, you know, uh, maybe me down at the very core of my being wanting it to be a long poem, wanting it to be a, an epic poem or something a little more than just uh, everyday prose. Um, there's that. Uh, also, there's always been uh, an impulse on my part as a writer to uh, fragment chron chronology and, and fragment the telling of the story and not necessarily have it told in straight chronological um, um, fashion. We live in a stream of time, you know, we're here and, and you know, let's say it's, oh, well, it's 11 o'clock uh, or 12 o'clock here, you know, people are having lunch and then people are thinking about what they're going to do in the afternoon. They do that and they go about their lives and then they go to bed at night. Um, but inside, they are uh, a unfoldment of different chronologies, of different uh, memories, of different experiences and different associations. And that I think is what that's probably, if there's a structure, that's, that's the, the essence behind the structure of a lot of these stories individually, um, not really paying um, or, or allowing a, a straight chronology to dominate, but allowing a little bit of drift back and forth, a drift back and forth between events, uh, memory, and um, this is the feeling of, at the core of it all, the feeling of being, of, of, of what is uniting uh, everyone's existences uh, within a lifetime with a within the framework of a lifetime, um, and it's my always been my feeling that we share. You know, we share a national consciousness, we share a world consciousness, we share an awareness of each other. Even though we're all of different religions and philosophies, there's always a connecting origin. I think to all of these different aspects and, and points of view. And so um, that is the cradle of all the fragmentation. That's what, that's the vessel which holds the broken pot um, is being and awareness. Well, that certainly comes through, or at least it came through to me in uh, the reading of, of, your, of your book. And um, I have to say, uh, Rustin, I was captured by it. I, I, could, I could feel uh, what you what you were just saying, and uh, I I greatly uh, appreciated the structure and and the outline uh, of the, of the book, and also the sense of of fragmentation, because that's exactly as you said, that's what life is like. Life uh, is not a chronological piece. It, it is fragmented. And I thought this was uh, very clear 
uh, in your book. So let me ask you, uh, let me ask you this, uh, Rustin. Is this book about time? And if, if you had to, I know it's very difficult to, but if you had to give it um, a, a, a theme or a sense, I know your readers, number of your readers uh, said that they thought it was about place. And it is, it is certainly that, but at the same time, I felt that you were working here with a concept of time, uh, as you just expressed in terms of the fragmentation of the chronology, uh, an expression of time. A am I right at all about that? Essentially, yes. I mean, I'm thinking that, you know, time is the stream which in we're all placed. And things slip through our fingers. We have relationships and we have people that we lose. And we have um, um, relationships that end for whatever really reason. And um, I think it is a, a wanting or a desire to, to kind of have... Um, a realm, kind of like the uh, the Amish paradise that exists in the story Einstein, kind of like a place out of time, a place out of sense uh, or, or logic, a place out of logic where things get healed, things can happen. Uh, if you're an earthly being and you're there by accident, like that one character is, you can't stay, you got to go back. But if you're not, you can stay. You know, it, it's that sort of thing. So um, I don't know if I'm drifting from your question or not, but uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's about time, but it's also about relationship. And it's also about um, holding on to what you love and, uh, and holding on to what you value um, within this stream of time. What is, uh, Rustin, and, and maybe you've already said this, but in your own mind, what is your concept of time? What, what, what is time to you, and, and what is the role that time plays in our lives? Well, there's the clock, and there's always there's the things that responsible people pay attention to to in time in their daily business life, you know, like staying on schedule um, and, and being there for people and being responsible and, and making dinner for people at certain time or going to work or, you know, paying your taxes on time. And, you know, there's all that, 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 that sort of aspect of time, you know, the responsible aspect of time. And yet there's, seems to me, and then from my experience there, from my conscious experience, there are little spaces um, that you exist in that's out of time, that doesn't even belong in time. Um, that is just a very quiet, as if all the wind and all the noise and all the, all the hubbub of the world just kind of ceases. And you're aware, but you realize that there's a core of creation 
that does not has nothing to do with our conflicts, with our political alignments, with our religious alignments, uh, with our spiritual alignments, but it's something even more basic than that. And something that is just pure being that will exist after we drop this body. And I think, and I believe that we will continue to be that awareness. Um, uh, Joseph Campbell, remember um, the uh, person that talked about mythology and, and did a lot of good talking about it and writing about it. He likened it to our lifetime being like a, a, a light bulb, you know, and we shine and we do our, 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 our business as uh, living light bulbs. But what happens when the light goes out, you know, nothing happened to the electricity, but the light bulb went out. He's liking that uh, uh, analogy to like when we pass on, we're no longer the light bulb, but we're the energy. We're the electricity. We're still there. We're not there in that form anymore as a light bulb, but we're, we're still there as the energy. You talk about uh, the Amish as uh, time travelers in particularly in uh, the, the first short story in the book uh, titled uh, Einstein. Right. Uh, in what sense are the Amish uh, time travelers? Well, in the literal sense, I think they are. I mean, not in a sci-fi sort of sense, but uh, if you where I live, you know, you can drive and then you drive out toward another town and then suddenly you're in like a, a, a community or region where the Amish are riding, they're driving their buggies down the street and or, or the highway or uh, congregating at a, a store or something or even in their communities. And it feels like, you know, they, they live, they're straddling two things. They're straddling the world we live in with our cars and noise and then, and then there's they're living also in a, a world that is beyond our time or before our time or in that reason in that sense yeah they're traveling they're traveling through time or they're making us travel through time by by seeing them um living in their 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 different um focuses um they want to live simply they want to live purely. They want to live in a simplified manner. And that there's this meeting sometimes of the two worlds at the vegetable market, you know, or so we would buy things and sometimes we hire them uh, as craftsmen to fix our homes or to, to do um, uh, whatever, uh, give us knowledge about uh, how to grow vegetables or, or, or you know, how to live a sustainable life um, uh, in, in the world that we occupy as well. So in that sense, you know, they are time travelers. So I think that the story kind of takes that a step further metaphorically um, through the idea that Albert Einstein in his last uh, um, development of, of an idea or a concept created uh, a uh, relativity cube which is something he just dreamed up, said, went to the 
the carpenter at Princeton University and said, boys, do this for me. Make me a cube, you know, way this big, that big, that wide, um, you know, make it a nice double job and everything so it's smooth. Paint it black, bring it back to me, you know. Uh, so <clears throat> the relativity cube is just like uh, a device, a machine that isn't a device or a machine. It only works because you think it works. And um, that's, that's the whole technology behind it. It's just something a focus on, a focus of your potentiality, a focus on what you, what human potential actually, you know, a, a, a represent a physical representation of human potential that could be focused on energy transfer or traveling through time or opening a portal or going to another uh, a realm where um, the problems are resolved because of your belief that they can be. And it's you that's doing it uh, rather than something that was developed by scientists in, in um, a lab at a university or in, or in a desert in New Mexico or something like that. That sounds like it might well also be a piece of art. Uh, yeah. with, with all of the significance that art uh, has in yeah. our lives. But you also talk about the onyx bar, molecule zero, and these other uh, two, well, to some degree, kind of bizarre um, things. What, what is the onyx bar and, and what is certainly molecule zero? Okay, well, the onyx bar is uh, owned by Dr. Rogatan in Amish Paradise. And there, I don't know if he's Amish, but he wound up there. Okay, and he has this high technology called the onyx bar, probably some sort of alien technology or something, who knows. But he owns it and he can use it like uh, this otherworldly chiropractor. Um, you can come to it, you can come to it with all sorts of uh, diseases and then the, the protagonist in the story comes uh, with a broken face from a, motor, from a lawnmower accident and then the Amish found him, you know, and, and, and took him in their wagon and jumped through the portal to Amish paradise where uh, he woke up on uh, Dr. Rogan's hands. Um, chiropractic table and he administered the iron, the onyx bar, and he ran it over his body with some humming and whatever of the secret technology. And one pass over his body, everything was fixed. His, uh, his bleeding, his broken bones, uh, and even his precancerous conditions, um, anything like diabetes or, or, or anything else that was out of balance was suddenly balanced and fixed. And so that's the, one of the benefits of visiting that realm, um, visiting that paradise, I guess, and, and spending an afternoon uh, getting fixed by that doctor who at the end, you know, invites you to stay for supper if he's having leek soup. I found this um, temporal fragmentation uh, intriguing, but 
at the same time, I felt, I felt, Rustin, that there was also a mental fragmentation uh, going on here. And uh, in, in that sense, uh, the, the narrator, um, who quite frankly, uh, even though the stories are different, even though uh, you wrote them at a different time period, uh, it seemed to me as though the narrator was was somewhat the same. And I, I, I thought I detected almost a, a dystopian mental state here, a kind of a, of a mental fragmentation. Uh, as well as the fragmentation of um, of the stories, and and I have to say that even though I found his thoughts fragmented, and maybe this is also the poetry part of the poetry element that you mentioned, because uh, at the same time they were understandable, and they were logical, and they were consistent. But but nonetheless uh, fragmented. Uh, what what is the mental state of uh, of the narrator in these stories? Probably marginally sane, as we all are marginally sane uh, in our individual lives, and I think there is probably a cushion for the uh, imagined person, the narrator, uh, to uh, cope with and to deal with life um, and deal with the tragedy or overwhelm or um, scary things by fragmenting or trying to compartmentalize, perhaps, creating disassociated chunks of um, time, chunks of narrative to deal with. Um, and also, I mean, this the fragmentation, I think, is also a narrative device for me uh, to, to find um, areas of depth within a story. Like I've written stories where it follows direct, complete, comprehensible, uh, chronological unfoldment, and yet there seems something weak, something um, almost as if something was trying to be camouflaged. Some sort of reality was trying to be camouflaged by staying with pure, uh, so-called pure chronological reality. But when you break it up and trail tell it in a fragmented order or uh, an order that ping-pongs back and forth um, through time. I think it seems to open up gaps. It opens up gaps of silence and maybe opens up gaps of untold story that creates a, a feeling of depth. It creates a feeling of mm, there's this underpinning of some breath or some underpinning of some uh, uh, awareness or consciousness that's there that's that is constant as a kind of constant that no matter um what time period 
you're you're talking about, if you're having a memory, or if you're re re revealing stories about things that your parents told you, uh, what their lives were like in the Great Depression. And there are two stories that deal with that. One was based on my mother's stories, and another was um, just a real fictionalized version of uh, of my father's and uncle's and their their male friendship circle um, during the Great Depression and just the moment prior to World War II. And I think um, what that does, especially in the, 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 the story Pearl Harbor, uh, where we don't really have a war scene here, we don't have any mention of the war here, except through the title, and there's an awareness of the time period, but there's also a little bit of just in their story, some hints, some a little bit of evasions, uh, and you realize um, through things that happen that that their farm life, their rural life, their uh, known life is just about to be totally disrupted. Well, Rustin, Red Wing is a unique and fascinating group of short stories. And I want to thank you very much for uh, talking to us today about your writing and about your uh, vision of life and as you express it in these stories. And want to thank all of you for listening. This is Delmarva Today. I'm your host, Harold Wilson. <laughs>